So going back to Aikido, the first principle is to get off the line of the attack, turn around and look at the same direction. So the first element was to, during conversations, to really get to understand the other person that is speaking, like a neutral anthropologist who, when he's digging up stuff, he's not judging in the sense he's just curious. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And not, oh, this is bad. I'm not going to, oh, this piece here that I found is bad. I'm not going to touch it. Everything was valuable. You are listening to the Managing Remote Teams podcast, the show taking a kind, cool-headed, and fair look at remote teams. I'm the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade as a practitioner. I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. My name is Luke Shermer, and if you're new here, I'm the author of the book Align Remotely, and I help teams thrive and achieve more together when working remotely. Find out more at alignremotely.com. In today's episode of the Managing Remote Teams podcast, we explore how the principles and the mindset in the Japanese martial art Aikido can be used to diffuse conflicts within an organization. This metaphor of using an attacker's strength against themselves while driving to an acceptable resolution scales well to all levels of a company. So while listening, you'll discover how to harness team conflict and convert it into a productive creative tension, how honesty about your needs can actually be a major source of strength in a team conflict, and also why your biggest challenge is creating trust despite opposing interests. And let's get on with the show. So, Przemek Grabroński, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. So, can you tell us a little bit about Aikido and how you got into it? I started Aikido, particularly Aikido, in 1988. I practiced several other martial arts earlier, but there was always something missing. And the philosophy, the kindness and respect to the other party was a very important part why I stuck to, to Aikido. And the atmosphere where you don't have competition, there's only one person you compete with, and that's yourself. You want to be better than you were yesterday. And you don't compete with a colleague that you practice or somebody else from a different dojo because this is your personal path and there's only one right path for you. You take Aikido as a lens in the context of consulting for organizations. How did you get into that part of it? I knew that there's some major lessons in Aikido approach to people interacting as if we think of energy. And Aikido's principle, and one of the principles you know, is that if you come at me with energy, I don't want to, I don't want anything to happen to me, but ideally uh, I will disarm you without anything, making sure that nothing also happens to you. Uh, so this requires uh, a certain attitude to literally blend with the energy that is coming at you and to lead it. But to do it efficiently, I have to really look at the same direction as the source of the energy. So I have to approach, reduce the distance, shift and turn around and see exactly the same direction as the other party is looking to lead it and to blend it, not to fight with it. And this is a metaphor that is very often used in, in conflict management 
to see from other person's perspective and to see their point of view, get to understand that, share, then maybe share your point of view. Because if somebody, if I make space for you to show your perspective, that creates an opening that you might just be willing to also listen and look uh, and uh, be curious in my perspective. If I'm curiously enough in your perspective. Mm. Aikido teaches you to blend with the energy, but to do that, you have to look at the pers- at the situation from the point of view of the attacker. We call him the uke, but literally is the person that brings an attack so I can practice with it. So I went to coaching and then I went into consulting about conflict management and leadership, which both of those topics are uh, in roots of literally any martial art leadership. Every sensei is a leader for his group. And uh, interestingly, usually mm, uh, that's uh, people even pay to being taught and actually being given a hard time. <laughs> so you, you, that really is an interesting case that there, there's, there has to be something really valuable for them in it, that they come, they get a hard time and they even pay for it. This approach to conflict is, as I mentioned earlier, is pretty unique. We emphasize me not getting hurt or uh, getting what I want, but also the other party. So finding a consensus or some kind of creative tension that creates something new that is beneficial for all interested, all stakeholders. So we brought that into the business setup where people can uh, actually physically experience what it is to be in tension with energy, what it feels to let go and blend and lead somewhere and what's then possible. And they really quickly realized that there's some elements that they physiologically experience during this, th- these exercises. And there's lots of metaphors to build on that. But then we're talking about, not about some cognitive concept about conflict, how we should approach it or not, but their first person experience about the tension. If I want to go this way and you want to go this way, what's the experience? And we're struggling here. And if they put a lot of force into it, if I put more force, the other party will put even more force. And it's just a push back and forth, push back and forth, and no movement is being done we're not getting anywhere. So once the participants experience this, uh, we can talk not about how things should be on cognitive level and concepts and models, but their personal experience. And that changes the, the conversation really quickly. So with the conflicts that exist, let's say within an organization, are the conflicts in the organization what defines what goes on in a company or how do you think about that? That's a very good question because a lot of companies have a hard time acknowledging that they even have or experience conflicts within. And if if somebody tells me that, oh no, we don't need this kind of work, we, we don't have conflicts in our organization. Uh, that means that it's sh- shuffled under the bed and they're just not acknowledging it because conflict, they probably, they think of a conflict of an ar- argument and a fight, but speaking openly about how people feel, how they are and what their interests and what are their needs and feeling free to do that has to create a, a, a conflict situation in the sense that people have different needs. But do we have the space to talk about it? And how do we handle that? And if somebody says that we don't have conflicts, that means that they're just not creating space for people to freely speak in. Speak in. We could probably categorize organizations based on how they're, what are their strategies and what is their 
approach to to conflict. What is the norm? How do they solve the conflict, or mm-hmm. how do they tr- try to approach it? Is there room for it, or we we don't even acknowledge that we have that? So, is it just more of a spectrum, or are there more distinct groups of approaches <laughs> that companies take? I would say it is a spectrum, and to engage in a conflict situation uh, when we have different perspectives is also an opening and showing up uh, vulnerable, and that that builds based on that, that I feel comfortable that I can bring in another perspective that I know might not be right away welcomed from anybody else or everybody, but I do feel safe to bring it in. That creates, that's the source of creativity also in the organizations, that people feel safe to bring something that might not be popular or might not be easy. But also the norm, the language norm is a, is a interesting aspect because uh, in some organizations they won't even allow the word of conflict that the roots and the definition of a conflict is that when people start they have different interests or even opposing interests and take action to succeed in reaching those interests mm-hmm. so when you go into a company is a lot of the work just around giving them the language and the physical sense of what the conflict is doing or like, how do you typically work with companies and help them? Our work mainly or focuses around pretty deep personal development. And to, for this to happen, we have to build an atmosphere of trust and psychological safety for the people to show up because we all, we all show up for different roles and that's what we're responsible. That's where we are hired for to do certain jobs and require certain skills and different positions. But then, and we know we're all judged by that. And if we don't feel safe that I, I might not have to be perfect in everything and I might have to show that I have some still development to be done, it, it you can't really work progress in any way. In one of our last workshops, we had a CEO from a, a fairly big international organization. And he is senior, he's now, I think, 54, 55. And he said he he had dozens and dozens leadership development uh, programs and trainings and management skills development, etc. And he said there was one very simple rule there. You have to show up the best you can, because if you show any vulnerability, uh, whoever of your colleagues that was on this training with you, one day or another, he'll use it against you. And so they only showed up in those trainings to show how, how big and strong and good they are instead yeah. of really thinking, okay, what I can really develop to become better than I was yesterday. Yeah, macho culture. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was a really turnaround for him because our work is being honest with himself. And he realized that he's not really thinking about what he really wants, what he can develop, but what he has to show out there in the world to be seen as the best. When he realized that the strength of being honest, the strength of saying, I don't know, the strength of, I I need help. Would you be willing to help me with this? His situation in work dramatically changed. He decided actually to give up on the company. He said he wasted enough time in this organization and he decided to move to a different place. And uh, he said that being honest with himself and being able to share that with the world and be consistent is for him much more important than, than the status of being a CEO of a, in an international organization in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Just to add to that, his so 
to create this kind of space that people are willing to ask themselves questions that sometimes they would not even ask themselves mm -hmm. uh, is probably the key element. So creating this kind of unconditional acceptance and for people to risk and say, okay, yeah, I might benefit if I every once in a while have the courage to, to say I need help or, or I need some support. What's the difference in how middle management and senior management see conflict within a company? So for instance, middle management is usually, I think that they have one of the toughest jobs in, in an organization because one side they're in the pressure between the top management and then mm -hmm. the people there that are below and with whoever they're talking, they're always perceived as the representative of the other party. <laughs> So they're the man in the middle and they really do have a challenging uh, situation because the frontline workers, whatever the org chart is, when they talk to their manager, uh, they think that very often that the manager represents the managing board or something or top management. When the middle manager talks to anybody that is above them, to their superior, they represent the frontliners. <laughs> uh, so they're always caught in between. So. So that's a tough one. And then top management, they usually report maybe to the stakeholders or something, but they, they don't have anybody directly above them. So mm. it's a different conversation. I don't want to make it too simplistic. That's useful, actually. In my consulting work, I usually work with the, like the senior leadership team or the managing board or the, or the top executives. And so that's why I, I know that they see, they perceive the middle management as the representative of the population of the company. Can you describe a particular case of how taking your approach, like an Aikido approach, and how it helped a, a particular company? We had a company, one of top players of uh, IT company on the market, and they were acquiring two other companies. And they were somewhat smaller, but in total was over 2,000 people. And they knew that they're going to have to go through a major restructuring, which restructure has many connotations. And if you tell in a company that we're going to go through a restructuring process, uh, uh, what, what they hear is, okay, layoffs. There's no beautiful ending to the story in the sense that everybody was happy ever after. Mm -hmm. But the process that we used was to engage everybody in this and make it as, as clear and as possible that yes, the company will go through a restructuring process. Yes, the layoffs will be happening, but we created space where people can openly talk about it and and share their frustration, their fear, and, and work out the process, what will be the best for the company. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that, for instance, we had three different marketing directors and they knew that after one year, because the, the whole process was that after designed by one of the big four consulting companies, when they got invited, we already worked with the company, with their leadership team. And the CEO said, okay, you're going to help us restructure, but you have to work with these guys. And it was us. So that's where we, we coined the term that the big four companies come and, and change the chart. Mm. And we come in and change the heart. <laughs> okay. Uh, so because they worked 99%, their work was above the waterline. Water what should be the new structure? What should be the numbers, the department, the silos, et cetera. 
and and we were leading people through this process. Uh, because just a side note, what very often happens is that in a big change initiative like this, very often the managing board goes through a, a, the whole changing process from grief, denial to gradual acceptance, and finally being on board to go forward. And it takes time. And then they announce it to the company that this is how things are going to be now happening. And they hope that all the, the several hundred or thousands of people, they're just going to go through this process overnight like this. It doesn't work this way. Yeah. They have to be given space. Going back to this, this example, yes, within the year, 800 people did leave the company. Nobody sued the company. Everybody knew what's really happening, take their took their time. And those, this example of those three marketing directors, they worked out how to later select the best person to continue to work as the marketing director. They all were invited into the conversation, how this process should look like. Nobody told them that it's going to be like this. They said, okay, you have to make a decision. How do you think this should be done the best for the company? So they actually, what they came up uh, is they, they said that eventually mm, maybe none of us will be the one because maybe somebody from outside should be invited with new skill set, etc. So they, they created a list of qualities and skills that should be there. And they outsourced the process to an external company, which they applied to, for this process as well, anonymously. So nobody could really recognize who they, who they're judging, who they're, who's the test, mm -hmm. test item. Yeah. Luckily, one of them actually won the process and took over and led the company later, but none of them uh, went out of this, uh, this process with with grudging and uh, blaming and etc. because they all worked out the process how it should be. Hmm. But created that to create that required gaining their trust for some because first that they they were convinced that they have the impact how this process will will go through and and be able to speak really openly and trusting each other that this is for the benefit of the company, which I think was the biggest challenge is creating trust. Although our interests might be opposing. Just to loop back to the kind of Aikido approach of when there were conflicts amongst them during this, how did that help? Okay. Yeah. So thank you. So going back to Aikido, the first principle is to get off the line of the attack, turn around and look at the same direction. So the first element was to, during conversations, to really get to understand the other person that is speaking, like a mm, neutral anthropologist who, when he's digging up stuff, he's not judging in the sense he's just curious. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And not, oh, this is bad. I'm not going to, oh, this piece here that I found is bad. I'm not going to touch it. Everything was valuable. That's one thing to be curious and to give them the tools to talk about sensitive issues with having the ownership of their experience and their understanding of it, that this is theirs and not not trying to be enforcing that this is the truth about something. 
This also touches a little bit about nonviolent communication or empathic communication, where you have the ownership of your experience and your fantasies or your interpretations about something, but this is yours. You're not saying that this is how things are. Uh, you're saying how you perceive things and what it is for you. Mm -hmm. And with this, it's much easier than to come to a common understanding how to work out something valuable for all sides. Just to add to that from Aikido perspective, there are two, two, two I think, important things. Is first, as a person that is receiving some kind of energy, uh, if I have a goal, I want to go the opposite direction, that's possible. So I can do it in two ways. First, I'll have more resources, more energy to overcome and enforce the incoming energy and push over. Or I can decide to come with it and blend and lead it somewhere. I have to take a risk uh, that eventually I might not go exactly the, same, the way I want it because the outcome might lead somewhere different, but I'm willing to try and see what's going to happen. Blend with the energy, whichever direction is going and not stop it. Because if you're going to say, no, stop, this is wrong. You're going to, you're going to experience even more energy coming at you because somebody's going to right away say, what do you mean? I'm wrong. I'm going to yeah. show you I'm right. For sure. Yeah. Exactly. What have you observed over the last year? How have things changed under lockdown and in the companies that you're working with? I really miss being in contact with people. When we come uh, to work with an organization, uh, a lot of our work is based on them and the participants to experience something. And part of it is also just normal human touch. And I already feel the difference when they grab a hand of a different person. You can imagine that when you shake a hand, uh, now it's not uh, legitimate or appropriate. <laughs> you have to go like this. But when we're still, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you, if you're disinfected, yes, it, you, you see the difference how people will shake your hand. And that's already transmitting some kind of information energy. And people miss that. What I see now, going a little bit out of our work, is what people are really missing is the non-formal time together where eventually a lot of things are getting done. A lot of agreements, a lot of ideas shared. So people are missing this kind of time together. It's not necessarily small talk, sometimes it is, but if you're in a meeting and you're with a colleague and you have an idea and you'll say, okay, let's just grab it. We'll go to the coffee shop together. And if you have two or three minutes to talk, and then you'll go and, and, and share the idea. Now you have to make an arrangement in calendar for a particular time. And, uh, and people are just sick of sitting in front of the computer uh, <laughs> and, and talking. It's hard to imagine for them to just relax. And a lot of things are done behind the scenes in this matter, shared ideas and brainstorming. And people will not call for a meeting for this. Uh, so. I think this is a big struggle for a lot of organizations and um, bodies inside the organization, that they don't have this kind of time to talk about, to go for lunch together, to talk uh, informally and uh, get to understand each other better or for a coffee after a meeting or even just walking down the corridor after a meeting, just two or three minutes sometimes does the, does the job. Given your background in conflict, resolution, what would be some good 
virtual team building tips that you might have. Yeah. Because it's not about technology, I would yeah. assume. Yeah, I know that. Technology is here. Technology yeah. is fabulous. And it's just, of course, it's a dramatic thing that we're experiencing, the COVID and lockdown, etc. But if we, if this would happen 10 years ago, I'm really curious how humans would deal with it. Now we can really do a lot of work online and uh, through through the video conferencing, etc. 10 years or 15 years ago, wow. That would be really dramatic. There, there are different ways of getting people involved, making feel, uh, make them feel relaxed, and make something funny. On one of the workshops, I remember that the facilitator said, "Okay, I know we we all we encourage you to use the camera to have the camera on. We don't want to look fatigued or somehow unprepared. So let's just everybody come closer to the camera and now correct how you look in front of the camera." <laughs> and, and and this was like 20 people and nobody knew each other and after just those 15 seconds of correcting hair making makeup and etc everybody was already laughing and relaxing because seeing everybody doing it at the same time was right just a great experience and everybody was already relaxed hmm. yeah so there are techniques to create this this new normal relaxed atmosphere within a within a setup of a team what about what about teams that are experiencing conflicts now under mm-hmm. under remote conditions? Are there any particular things that you think would be helpful or tips or anything like that? There's this whole theory what we, we call the pinch theory, and if if we don't if we don't respond to pinches in a open and curious way, we will if, um, eventually experience crunches and from crunches there's no easy way out and we could do the whole a whole uh, webinar on on that on the pinch theory which might be interesting at some point but we can create a diagram where about literally any relationship you're in you can find yourself somewhere in this diagram and what we often do is we don't respond to to little pinches because it's not a big deal I don't want to come across as a picky person. He probably didn't mean it. And we're all masters in holding ourselves back when something is a bit uncomfortable for us. The thing is that the other person uh, sometimes doesn't even realize that it's creating a pinch after pinch. But with each next pinch, the weight on the scale is slightly more until it tips over. Then we have a crunch. But then we have a whole baggage of BS behind us that that is connected to this other person. And then it's very difficult. And usually it requires a a third party to participate, to mediate or to lead a conversation between two people. Because if we have, if your blood pressure goes above 120, uh, the blood that is uh, pumped into your head is not really going to your cortex. which is responsive for logical thinking, it's going to your amygdala, fight, flight, or freeze. We stop really rational thinking. Of course, nobody is aware of that. We all think that even in the most tense moment, we are very rational and logical. Sorry to bring it to people, that's not true. (laughs) If people are in a conflict and one of them is not really skilled in in leading a conflict to a transformative or a creative solution, it's really good to just ask somebody to facilitate a conversation 
and agree on the rules of the conversation. Hmm. And uh, it's, it's with virtual teams, it's, it might be easier, might be more difficult, depends on the particular team or, or particular case. But we usually don't do that because we feel, first of all, usually you feel that if we ask somebody for help, that means I'm incompetent. And that is not true. If I'm of one of the sides in the conflict and I have interests, it's really natural that it's very difficult to easily and freely see the other person's approach or needs, unless I'm a skilled uh, person in this kind of dialogue. So it's really good to just ask somebody for help. Listen, can you spend with us 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, and lead our conversation so we can really connect better and share mm -hmm. our points of view. And I know that if I get, if the stakes get high enough, I, I also get emotional and it's just cheating myself saying that I'm above that. I can be calm as a stone always. Now that's not true. If somebody believes that he really is cheating himself. Hmm. So asking for help actually shows your humbleness and your awareness and not the opposite. And mm -hmm. very often it's perceived the opposite that is showing your weaknesses. Where do people find out more about what you do? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so as for Aikido, please take a look at uh, our webpage uh, or Facebook, Aikido Tanren Dojo or just tanren.po. And as for consulting work, it's nextmove.consulting. So if uh, anybody is interested in exploring more or creating, developing their team, moving their team to the next level, give us a, give us a call or give us a mail, shout, and uh, we'll respond and be more than thrilled and happy to go for an adventure with, with you to develop the teams to become more engaged, uh, more authentic, and eventually much more productive. Great. Thank you. Yeah, that was a great conversation with Przemek, and he has some great stories to help illustrate the ideas that he's trying to get across. Personally, I was a little surprised by the physicality that Przemek needs to help understand conflict, and that presumably is hard to translate in a remote work world. From a practical perspective, this whole idea of pinch theory, I think, does give you a pretty visceral way to figure out if there are any conflicts which you're avoiding, and therefore your team is underperforming as a result. It's quite a useful heuristic to help figure out where to get into a conversation or to start one, really. Tune in next time. We'll be diving into the wild and wonderful world of people ops. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Managing Remote Teams podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts and reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn with any feedback or thoughts that you have for a future show.